Hey, Parallel listeners, it's Shelley. Just a quick announcement before we begin the show. This is the last regularly scheduled episode of Parallel for the summer. I'll be returning September 6th, which is a Tuesday with the regular biweekly schedule. But I'm going to take June, July, and August off to work on some other projects, to take a little time off myself, and also just to, to think more about uh, great guests and great uh, episode topics for the future of Parallel. So I hope you'll stay subscribed at relay.fm parallel. I also hope you'll follow me on Twitter at Parallel Pods, where any announcements or updates will be forthcoming. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L. Why? There's a decent chance I'll tweet occasionally about accessibility at one or both of those accounts. So I'm looking forward to seeing you back again in September. And in the meantime, please enjoy this show, which is a really good one with my friend Stephen Scott, where we talk all about Apple's new accessibility preview features. See you in September. Welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host, and this is episode 73. Well, if you follow the accessibility world at all, you may know that Apple made a bunch of accessibility-related preview announcements last week. Some other companies did, too. Global Accessibility Awareness Day was last Thursday, May 19th, 2022, as we're talking to you. Uh, And we've had a few days to digest some of what Apple has announced. There was a lot of attention paid, both in the accessibility community and in the mainstream community. And this is our chance to, after having a breather, because a lot of us uh, did a lot of talking and, uh, and reading about this stuff last week, uh, to, to uh, see how we feel a few days later. And to do that with me is uh, a guest who I've had here on Parallel before, and I've been on his shows because that's the way podcasters do this. It is Stephen Scott, the presenter of Double Tap TV and Radio in Canada, and the Blind Guy Talks Tech podcast, which you can find everywhere you get your podcasts. Stephen, welcome back to Parallel. Hey, Shelley. How are you? Thanks for inviting me back on. I'm happy to have you. It's good to talk to you. I, I mentioned I talked with you on uh, Blind Guy Talks Tech uh, last week, the day after the announcements, and, and you, you literally have the press release in front of you, like trying to remember things <laughs> yes. that they've announced. And uh, Stephen got a chance to talk to some Apple folks, so he'll pick his brain about that. But I, I always feel a little nervous that when you start out so soon after an announcement like that, that you're either going to miss something or you're going to misremember what the important things are. So so hopefully we're a little bit more settled mm. now than then. <laughs> Well, well, let's talk about, and I sort of put these in order of what I think are the most interesting announcements, and, and you and I, Stephen, both have a blindness and low vision perspective, but I think objectively, the, the biggest thing that Apple did for a couple of reasons uh, is the door detection feature, this, this new feature that allows LiDAR-equipped iPhones to assist somebody with a vision impairment to locate a door and identify a lot of attributes about that door. So, so what's your take on door detection? Well, a couple of things, I guess. I mean, one is, uh, I think this is a fantastic feature that is going to mean I'll probably now go out and buy uh, an iPhone 14 Pro, um, assuming, <laughs> assuming as I have a hunch they might, that they'll actually ditch the Mini and whatever the lineup is of iPhone 14s this year will probably have LiDAR on all of them or we'll see the Pro retain the LiDAR because I guess you need a reason to have a Pro version. Um, although I know there's other reasons, but cameras, for example, but but LiDAR especially, and maybe even glass might make an appearance this year. And if it does, oh, please, let's hope it happens, um, then that might be the, the marker that we need. Because it does, I mean, if I'm honest, this is the kind of feature which would lend itself very well to something like Apple Glass, right? So Sure. I know we're, we're talking here in a fantasy land of, you know, this may well happen, but realistically, we'll just be walking around with our phones strapped to our chests. Um, but this is definitely a reason, I think, to have a, an iPhone with LiDAR. It definitely appeals to me. And and there's one particular area which uh, I didn't think about at first, but now I'm thinking about a lot. And that is not uh, actual doors, say, to buildings, which, of course, is great to identify those. It's the last 10 yards problem we always have in our world where... You know, you get out the taxi, you get out the Uber, whatever it might be, and you then have to find the door of the place, right? And it's like, where is it? And door detection can help with that. It can help you identify the push, whether it's a pull, whether it's a sliding door, whether it's even open or closed, which is cool. Um, but also I'm thinking about, bizarrely, trains. So here in the UK, I don't know what it's like in the States with you, Shelley, you'll know more than me, but I, I certainly find in, in the UK, trains come in, 
And the colour of the doors is usually similar to the colour of the train itself. Yeah, exactly. So if you have low vision, it's hard to find them. Um, and if you've got no vision, it's almost impossible without falling onto the train track first in order to find them, which is obviously not ideal. Um, so I just wonder if this door detection feature will work on trains. That's a really interesting point, and especially if you're in a situation where the train door opens and it's really crowded and a bunch of people are getting out of the train, and does that obscure the visibility of the door as a mm. door because you have all these bodies? And I don't know. It's, it's an issue. I, I saw that on Twitter. I saw somebody ask about that question last week and say, hey, how's, how well it, will it work on trains or any sort of public transportation? The train problem is, Buses, is worse. Yeah. But yeah, um, anything where you have material that is essentially the same as the side panels that uh, make up the rest of the vehicle. So good question. See, see, this is the way we get to uh, pick on little things. You know, a week mm. ago we were just excited it existed, and now we're like, I have questions. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Well, it's always the same. Anytime a new feature comes out, uh, we do this with everything, don't we? I think it's just our curious minds. It's like, I wonder if I can do this, and why can't it do that? And could it yes. do more? Uh, Looking forward happy. to putting it through its paces, for sure. Well, and about the LiDAR-equipped phones. So just to remind people that the Apple current, the current Apple line, the iPhone 13s, the Pro and the Pro Max, have LiDAR. The Mini and the regular 13, which is the phone I have, do not have LiDAR. The top, and the same was true of the top end for the, for the iPhones 12, and then the uh, high-end iPad Pros now have LiDAR. Usually LiDAR has been paired by Apple with high-end camera technology. So for a lot of blind users, it never made sense to buy a Pro or a Pro Max. Maybe a Pro Max if you were low vision and you needed the big screen. But I wouldn't have bought a more expensive iPhone for the camera. But because LiDAR is paired with it, now I'm like, well, maybe I've, maybe I've got to get it. And that's the mm -hmm. frustration I had even last year when people detection was the first LiDAR-specific disability-related feature. Where I was like, I wasn't going to buy it for that reason. But for door detection, that becomes so much more compelling, even if it's a considerably higher price for the phone. Yeah, because people detection, I think because it came out just at the time, it, was, it just was launched after COVID really had kicked in and we were in lockdowns. And it kind of felt like it was a COVID feature. And it's not a COVID feature at all. Right. Uh, it, it really did help at that stage. But it, to me, wasn't a feature. And I know you feel this way as well. It wasn't a kind of winning feature that would mean I would go out and buy a new device. But I think we all knew that that was the sense. And I, I certainly remember reporting at the time that I felt that the launch of that particular feature on LiDAR, the fact that that was a, a feature kind of aimed at disabled people, arguably blind and partially sighted people particularly, that that really showed the power of LiDAR and it also showed what the capabilities were for us. The fact that that was the first one out the gate, because um, it was really the first thing we really saw that kind of took advantage of LiDAR. And I know there's other things that it can take in and, and it can do, and it's great for augmented reality and it's all about measuring distance and you know you can measure your table and all that stuff if you want to do it. It's all great for all that stuff, but for blind people there's some real benefits. And um, I'll be intrigued to see how this goes, but I, I do have that hunch that this LiDAR feature is going to become more widespread or more widely available along the line. Although I must say your comment on my show about, um, let's not forget the iPad Pro 12.9. <laughs> I just love the idea. I've been laughing about this all week. The idea of just walking around with this on front of my head as using it as an, a LiDAR. We're going to paste the iPad Pros onto our faces or carry it. It's just like, yeah, sure, of course, that makes perfect Start sense. Start that to your chest, yeah. <laughs> That's a really good fashion look, too. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think when, and I don't mind that people detection came out and it wasn't the thing that somebody was going to make a choice to buy LiDAR for. That was fine because it got us used to the idea. And Apple, I think, was making a statement at that point, hey, we're going to do more with this. And as, and as you and I talked about and as I've talked about last year, it did feel like it was a precursor to whatever wearable device, Apple Glass or whatever you want to call it, because obviously you have to have that in that device, have to have LiDAR in order for that to work for a mainstream audience and certainly for us. And so what that has always said to me is, number one, the wearable thing is coming. This is kind of a proof of concept for it. And number two, there's going to be focus on accessibility when it does. Yeah, well, that's, that's it exactly. And we kind of always knew whatever Apple bring out, I mean, without getting into the whole glass thing, because I'm sure that will be a topic of conversation when the day comes. But, you know, we kind of always think, oh, how's, how are they going to make that accessible? I remember when the watch came out, I thought, okay, this will be interesting. How Same. are they going to make that Same. accessible? And, you know, I although I have to be honest, I still play the game of why am I wearing this thing? 
Um, <laughs> right. What am I doing with it? I, you know, it tells me the time and it's great for that. And, you know, notifications. I don't really use my watch for much more than that. I actually should because I realise it's way more powerful than uh, than I give it credit for. And the fact that it's fully accessible. You know, recently I've just bought myself, just more for play than anything else, because I don't think I would use this every day. I got myself the Samsung Galaxy Watch 4 just to have mm. a play around with because I want to see how accessible these things are these days. Um, haven't, uh, haven't got out of the box yet, so that says all you need to know so far. I guess so. We'll have to talk about that at some point because I'm curious. Yes. Well, this is a really good segue, Stephen, because they also, Apple made some announcements related to Apple Watch, and they're not so much for folks with visual impairments, although I have a hack that I want to talk about with you uh, mm-hmm. about how I think I might use this. But uh, the Apple Watch, last year when Apple did its first set of accessibility-specific preview announcements, of which we were very happy to talk, uh, and, and they had to do with assistive touch on the Apple Watch and new gesturing, which would allow you to use uh, pinch gestures and swipe gestures with your hands while you were wearing the Apple Watch if you had assistive touch enabled so that if you had a physical or motor disability, you could use the watch without having to touch it. And they've extended that with additional uh, gestures this year and something called Apple Watch mirroring. And I started calling it AirPlay for Apple Watch. Basically, the idea Mm. is that your Apple Watch screen ends up on your iPhone, and it's really intended for people who use switch control or voice control so that they can use those iOS features to control the watch. So have you? what have you heard about the, this from folks that you might have talked to? Are people excited? Do you, do you, have you had a chance to talk to folks with uh, physical or motor disabilities who might be interested in this? Yeah, I actually had some people email in the show right off the bat of these announcements because we were running through them um, when we talked about this last, and you know, we kind of skipped over, well, not skipped over, but we talked about it very much just in, in the news sense of what has been reported, what we've heard, because, of course, we haven't had a chance to try any of this yet. But immediately people were jumping on the, wow, this is incredible, this is going to make such a difference. Because I think I even heard from, uh, I, I saw a blind guy on Twitter, I wouldn't say who it was, but a blind guy on Twitter saying, why have they brought door detection in? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, but at the same token, some, sometimes these things don't always click in people's heads, and it's the same with switch control and all of that. You know, this feature, people think, well, hang on, if you're going to just mirror your phone to your, you know, your, your, your watch to your phone, why not? just not bother having a watch. But of course, you miss out all the benefits, right? And and that's the point, that you have so many benefits of having the watch. Uh, you know, whether you're doing uh, exercises, which of course people in wheelchairs are doing all the time. Um, whether it be, you know, getting the heart rate information or the blood oxygen information, all of this is available. Now you can see it on the device. That is kind of as far as it goes. There were some other things around switch control that were getting some interest. But, you know, I I think it's one of those we have to see it to believe it. But it does sound really interesting. My question is, though, can we can we use the watch in this way? That's the thing I'm unsure about. Are we able to sort of, you know, use the watch via the the phone? So it's not a mirror in that sense, is it? Is it something right? Active? That's that's the question I have because uh, that I think is the way it's intended to be used by people who have switch control or voice control ways of using the phone. When I saw that originally, and I thought AirPlay for watch, what I thought was a bigger version of the screen on my phone because sometimes there are things on the watch screen that I, as a low vision person, can't see. But yep. it's and it may or may not work for me in that way. But I think it's definitely intended to be used by people whose way of interacting with their phone is through switch control or voice control. And if you haven't ever used switch control, and I'm, I'm not really an expert, although I've written about it, but think of switch control as voiceover for people with a physical disability who can't touch their phone, who use switches instead of their fingers, because the voiceover interface is very similar to the switch inter- control interface in that there are alternative gestures that you scan from place to place, just the way we swipe from one item to the next item to find it. And it obeys a lot of the rules of voiceover. So if you've developed software that's supportive of voiceover, it supports switch control as well. And so that's great for somebody using the phone, the watch screen on the phone, because then they have access to it a different way. It gives them a reason to maybe get an Apple Watch. Now, does a switch control user have the need for an Apple Watch in terms of things like fitness? Perhaps not, although there are wheelchair workouts. Hmm. But it it provides the option. I mean, it's not up to you and me or, or anybody other than the person who wants to buy it to say, oh, well, you know, who who needs an Apple Watch if they have a disability, whether it's a visual disability or physical disability, so I, I think it's pretty cool that they've you know made this available to. Well, especially folks. since you know how how you know varied and on a spectrum we all are with disability, right? So you yeah. know, your level of vision is different to mine. You have different needs. You have different.
different uses. So you'll spend more time going through a lot of those low vision functions where I'm immediately looking at what's new in voiceover, what's going on in, in the speech-to-text world. Um, and I think that's where it's, or text-to-speech world, I should say. Um, although, a bit of both, arguably. Um, but, you know, there's some really interesting features coming out, um, especially under switch control, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And, and, and not just switch control particularly, but voice control, which is another area of, of interest for a lot of my listeners who've been getting in touch, especially those who aren't visually impaired but do have those physical and motor disabilities. Well, why don't we jump into that right now then? Because that's something I know a little less about. And I know you had a chance to talk to some Apple folks last week. So so what's coming for voice control and, and maybe switch control? So the one big feature, which believe it or not, doesn't sound like a big feature, um, but it's actually incredible because I know a couple of our listeners have been uh, you know, actually campaigning on this for a long, long time, years, in fact, and finally, and it's just a, it's just a byline in this in this press release that we've got here, and it's voice control spelling mode. Now, what that essentially means is it gives someone the ability to dictate custom spelling um, using letter by letter input. This is something you could not do before if you used voice control. So if you were trying to dictate, you would think it would just work via dictation, right? You would dictate words. But let's say, for example, your name's Shelley. Now, the first time we were emailing each other back and forward, I spelled your name wrong. I spelled it with an extra E at the end, right? And you were absolutely right to pick me up on that because that's not how you spell your name. It's like when people call me Steve, I go, I'm not Steve. First (laughs) off, I'm not cool enough to be a Steve, so don't call me Steve. Um, So that's never going to work. But the thing is, if I was using voice control, it would decide how that spelling worked if it got it right in the first place. So if I said Shelley Brisbane, it might put in Brisbane as in Brisbane, Australia, not Brisbane IN with you. Right. I bet it does, right? But the fact is that there's no way to go back and correct that. This is now something that can be done. And it seems like a small thing, but if you're a professional and you're trying to send professional emails and you want it to look right and you want it to be proper you need to have the ability to go in and edit like anybody else would with a keyboard or mouse. Like I right. can with voiceover, like you can with low vision, right? Yeah, exactly, because I, I dictate a lot, and I can go back and correct, uh, and there are various ways I can correct it. And in fact, uh, the, the typos I make tend to be because I have dictated something and it's been interpreted incorrectly, and I don't usually go to the trouble of spelling individual letters in dictation. But if I'm working in voice control and I don't have the uh, capability of correcting by using, you know, touching and selecting something and then typing back over it in the same way that, uh, you know, I, I entered it, then then that's a problem, right? So that's, a, yeah, that's a big deal for a voice control user. And it's a, it's a kind of a confidence thing, too. It's like, well, there's this feature called voice control, and it's really great, and I like it, and I can use it most of the time. And this is yeah. one of those things that makes it possible to use it all of the time. Well, if you, if you speak to someone or you, you have someone in your contacts, for example, who might be Polish and that name, you can say it, but it may not understand what you're saying and therefore it right. puts in something totally different or it doesn't even understand. So therefore it doesn't pull the name in properly from, I mean, I know, for example, my, I, I used to know a girl who, uh, she's Polish, uh, I used to work with her and every time when I, when I would talk to her, I would tell her what Jaws thought her name was. And therefore, what I thought her name was, and it was totally different, right? Because it was whole, completely wrong, because the way it said the second name was totally different to how you pronounced it properly. Um, and that makes it harder when you're trying to use voice control, because if it doesn't understand what you mean, it'll either just ignore it and put something else in. And if you can't get back and easily edit that, that's a problem. And the closest I've come to that experience, I guess, and it's not that dissimilar, is trying to uh, edit text on an iPhone. Once you've typed or once you've dictated something out, you want to go back to a specific word. Now, I'm lucky I can use the rotor to jump back by line or by word. Um, But if you don't have that control, that's pretty naff, to be perfectly honest. So I think this is good. At least they've got something. It's why I don't type a lot of long stuff on the iPhone because I know I'm going to have to go through that. Or or dictate, because I love to dictate stuff, but you've got to be careful. And actually, dictation on the Mac is pretty decent. I'm using that quite a lot, but it's not perfect. And, you know, all all the people who are using voice control are asking for is the ability to easily edit or just be able to put their own custom spellings in. Well, finally, one of those things has happened. Sure. <laughs> one at a time, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, another thing that got a lot of attention from the mainstream community, I think because it, it's one of those things that folks understand and might even think they'll use themselves, is live captions. And mm. I think 
one of the first comments that people made was, oh, Google's had this for a while. And it certainly is available in mobile apps in Google. It's been available in YouTube for a long time. And on YouTube, people complain and they call it craptions. Uh, <laughs> things like Zoom and Teams and Google Meet have the ability to add captions so that if you're in a meeting situation. But what live captions for uh, the Apple platforms, which include the Mac and iOS, uh, will allow you to do is caption any audio that comes into your phone. So, so in fact, if somebody were listening to us speaking right now, Stephen, on their Mac, uh, they could caption us. Of course, I provide transcripts, so they don't have to do that, uh, but they could. So that's kind of, from my point of view, that the superpower of it is that you have the flexibility to put captions on any kind of audio that might come into your Mac. I don't know if you use captions at all in, in other contexts or in specific apps, but are, are you excited about live captions? I am. And it's interesting because I, my first thought when I heard about live captioning, and it's, it's not a unique it's not a unique thought to the Mac, Um Although it's something I wouldn't necessarily want to use, because I, I don't read along with anything, right? But it's not about that for us. For for a blind person, captions might be useful for capturing and being in, able to instantly you know, pull up information. So, for example, someone gives an email address or someone gives a, a phone number, then you're able to get that quickly from captioning, if it does it properly. Um, that is all dependent on how good the live captioning is. Um I do have some high hopes for Apple on this. They do set a pretty high bar when it comes to dictation. As I say, it's not always perfect, but it's not that far off. Uh, and it's also very good at autocorrecting itself. So I think, you know, I think about the combination of it being able to sort of think it for itself with its AI and actually pull in and, and get this information, I think it would be pretty interesting. The one feature, though, which I'm quite excited about with live captions and I think I've got this the right way around. You can tell me if I'm wrong in this, Shelley, but I think I'm right here in saying that if someone on a call is using a text to, essentially to the call, right? So you're on a phone call, they're able to read the text, read the conversation through captions. They can contribute to that conversation via text and that would be read aloud on the call. I think I've got that right. I think that's right too, and there's there is a video on that. That's another thing Apple has done with this uh, press release, which we'll of course link to on the show notes. But there's several videos that describe mm. that show you how to use these things, and, and my memory is that that's on the live caption video, which is great because I mean I just think of I mean I'm old enough to remember when folks who were deaf and hard of hearing used these physical TTY machines to make yes. text-based calls. And, and of course we've gone to the point now where people can use their phones and they can text and everything. But this is just such a a great like a, a feature that shows that they've thought about how a person might not only want to consume information but contribute information. And yeah, so it's 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 great. I'm I'm excited to see it. I do have pretty high hopes for Apple in, in terms of captioning. I know that auto-generated captions, especially of the Google variety, have been criticized a lot by people who are deaf and hard of hearing. And again, because you're trying to rely on something, it's one thing to be grateful or be excited that a feature exists, but it's another thing when you start relying on it, especially in a professional context. And yeah, I can see live captions being applied to, well, let's say I want to take notes in a, a Zoom meeting or some other sort of situation where I'm having an audio conversation. And instead of having to, you know, type like a maniac, I can take the live captions as my first draft of notes and I can go back in there and I can copy out the information that's interesting, web addresses, email addresses, as you said. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's pretty good. And I love that it's coming to all the platforms because that feels like one that for me would be especially use, useful on the computer because I'm in, you know, meetings and trying to consume and contribute text to, in, on the computer all the time. It's why I think I'm so Mac obsessed, uh, Apple obsessed, actually, to be fair, because I just love the ecosystem. I, I just love the fact that I can go from one device to the next. Um, I like that I can also stay on one device. That's my favorite thing. You know, I don't want to be having to pick up my phone. I'm being a voiceover user. I, I have all my attention focused on one device and I want everything to be rooted through that device. And Apple lets me do that. If I've got a Windows machine, I've got to have a phone separately. I've got to have, you know, other devices. I can't just do it all through the one. I mean, if it was Android, that's different, right? Because I guess if you were running a keyboard into your Android phone, you would get that ecosystem equivalence. That's about the only other time I think you would get that. But, you know, it, that's Android, right? I mean, come on. Yep. Um, so that's my views. Uh, no one else's, I'm sure. <laughs> but you, know, you, can, <laughs> you can complain to me personally about that view. But, um, I mean, look, I, I think it's, it's, it's really interesting to see these features come out. And I think my favourite thing about it and this is something we don't often get to talk about very often in our community is the kind of interdisability communication 
I don't know if that's the right phrase for it, but ultimately, you know, as a blind person, talking to a deaf person can be a challenge. And I feel I'm cut off from deaf people in, in a lot of ways because I haven't been able to have conversations. You know, I used to work in a building which had a lot of deaf people and a lot of blind people because it was a sensory impairment building, um, as in, you know, the, all the people who worked in there had uh, involvement with sensory impairment. And, you know, the, the deaf colleagues, we didn't speak. We just didn't communicate because I couldn't understand what they were trying to say to me and I couldn't, you know, communicate back. And I think that's a real problem. You know, this this cuts down all those barriers between people who want to, you know, communicate. There's lots of friendships we could have had, you know, but because of, of the lack of technology in this case to be able to allow us to communicate, it, it didn't, it meant it wasn't possible. Absolutely. Actually, my first uh, internship in college was at a state agency for the deaf, and a lot of the workers there, my boss was a hearing person, but a lot of the people we worked with were deaf, and I was less able to communicate with them, fellow people with disabilities, than I was with my other colleagues who were hearing because they were using sign language and, and lip reading. And I just remember that as a visceral experience and thinking, I I feel like I'm letting them down. It's not no fault of my own. I just can't exactly. see. And yeah, so this is the kind of thing where I love the idea that you can pull out a device you're already carrying and say, hey, I'd like to have a conversation with you and let's make that happen. Well, another feature for uh, primarily people with hard of hear- who are hard of hearing and who are deaf is sound recognition. Sound recognition came to us in iOS 14 and it allows you to choose sounds that you would like identified when they occur in the environment. So water running or a doorbell ringing or a baby crying or something that you might want an alert about. And it provides visual alerts on your device if those sounds occur, if they're sounds that you want to be aware of. And they've added to that feature this time around, or will be adding in in iOS 16, I guess, uh, the ability to train sound recognition so that you can choose your own sounds. And I think the examples that they gave and, and one that I've used is, I have a rice cooker that makes sort of a unique sound in my kitchen. And that's the kind of thing I might want to to, tr- to train it to or another appliance or maybe a particular sound. Maybe you have an, an alert of some kind on another device in your in your home. So I, I remember saying when sound recognition came out, because I'm kind of a smart aleck and I like to suggest that whatever Apple has given us is not enough. And so I said, you know, what would be really cool is if you could train it with your own sounds. And so clearly Apple said. Gosh, Shelley, you're right. Is that, you think that's what happened? You think? Maybe I, I think listening? it's exactly what happened because <laughs> I know. I, I think Apple only listen to what we tell them. I think that's how it works. <laughs> I think everybody who's blind and and, and deaf and uh, anybody who has a disability should just have a podcast and we should just talk <laughs> a lot. That's a lot for the Apple people to listen to. They're just like, oh my yeah. God, I have 37 podcasts to listen to today. But fortunately, I have live captions so I can capture exactly. the contents of. <laughs> Just control F. Look, look, yes. See what I'm looking for. Find what there I'm looking for. Um, yeah, th- this is a great feature. And again, it's one of those features that I like because it's it's totally mainstream as well, right? So there's so many benefits to this. You know, if you've got a unique doorbell or your dog has a kind of bark, you know, that you might want to, you know, let, you know, be, be aware of. I mean, this this could work, you know, not just in the home, when you're in the home, but when you're outside the home. And that's the key, isn't it? That you, know, you can program this in a way, I, I guess HomePods, not yet, I guess, but HomePods could be part of that. They could be picking up that sound and then I, maybe they do. I don't know. I don't know, but I think that would be great. I actually heard somebody suggest that on a podcast I was listening to yesterday, and I, I hadn't thought of it because I don't have any HomePods. But again, that's Do a sort home of thing. Pods. Come on, Shelly. No, Come on. I know. I've, it's an admission I'm making right here on the show. No home pods. <sighs> I kind of want one, but I haven't. I, no, no I you can't buy two. one. You've got to buy two. Exactly. I, that's right. That's right. Two. I need a stereo pair. But yeah, I love the idea that you put the home pods strategically in your house because I remember when I started using sound recognition, I was trying it on my iPad, and then I was like, well, wait. What if my my house is configured in such a way that my iPad isn't going to be able to hear all the sounds I want to hear? Exactly. But if I put HomePod in my kitchen, if I put a HomePod in my office or wherever else I think the sound might occur, that it could alert my phone. Wouldn't that be fancy? Just buy more stuff. That's the only answer. But that's the great thing about this. You know, it, it gives you the ability to have all these features, learn specifically sounds that are relevant to you. Um, because, you know, the, the, the fixed ones are good, but and I will say as well, very good for voiceover users as well, because, you know, all of this, all these notifications will come up on your phone and they will be spoken out by voiceover if you choose that to be the case. So that's good as well. But I think um, I, I think the idea of this kind of feature coming in, I think it's so cool because you can have so many different sounds going on in your world. And not all of us are, you know, you don't have to be, this is the thing for me, you don't have to be like deaf to use this feature. 
That's the point. You know, this is what I mean about these features being particularly mainstream. And, you know, I, I am really on a mission, and I think you are too, if I'm honest. This, this seems to be, we're both in the same club on this, to try and kind of show the world about what everyone can benefit from. Because, look, as we get older, your hearing maybe deteriorates a little bit. Certainly the way I used to listen to music in my 20s, I'm amazed I can hear anything. Um, you know, and that's something we really want to tell people, look, there are other features here that you can benefit from. Accessibility is not just for someone who's, you know, deaf or blind or disabled in any other way. It's for everybody. And that's really important. And this is a great example of that. Yeah, and I, I think, too, people say that often. And I know Apple has said that, but and, and people want to say accessibility is for everyone. I guess the way I would extend that is to say, and there's no shame in it. If you mm. can benefit from those accessibility features, and I, and I know people who, as, as they get a little older and their ego gets involved and they don't want to admit that their eyesight is deteriorating or that their hearing might be a little less than it was, and there's a little bit of shame when you open up that accessibility panel and you start turning that first accessibility feature on and you feel like a little less than yourself, and I can understand that feeling, but... That's why that stuff is there, so that you can get the most out of your devices and, uh, you know, live in it and enjoy it. I'd love to get to a stage where we don't call it accessibility anymore. We call it personalization. Because to me, that's what it is. Yeah, and, and, and actually, that's kind of an approach that I've had and thought of for a while with Apple, st well, with accessibility stuff generally, but Apple stuff because there's so many accessibility features and the more they add, the more it seems like what would be great to have is the ability to create a group of settings for yourself and transfer them across your devices so that you don't have to configure everything, yep. you know, individually and say, well, this is my voiceover speed and this is my voice I'm using and this is, you know, let's let's have some sort of uh, across-the-board theming. And I mention that now because we don't get it this, this time around, but it is a, an opportunity for another segue, Stephen, because that's what we do. We're professionals. Th this is a feature that you and I didn't, well, you and I might have talked about it a tiny bit, but I didn't talk about it when I wrote about this last week. The Books app, which used to be called iBooks at one time. Yeah. Uh, now has something called theming, uh, which is going to allow you to, to set fonts and margin sizes and dark mode and light mode and all that sort of stuff. I should say quickly that I think one of the reasons I ignored this feature initially was because Apple has already provided some ability to customize the way the Books app looks. But I think what they're doing now is creating sets of features that comprise a theme. And so it feels to me like and, – and Apple is is – not a company that likes to give you all of the choices. They like to give you a number, a few choices. Uh, and <laughs> yes. But at least with this, you have the ability to say, okay, these are the four or five features combined that I want to use with books to make it more uh, visually appealing. So it's, again, this is primarily for somebody who has, who has low vision, I suppose. Yeah. So I don't know if you use Apple books or not. I, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I didn't even know that books was still a thing. <laughs> If I'm being totally honest, I, I thought that had long gone. Um, I mean, I kind of had a feeling it was kind of kicking about, but I thought Audible had just taken over and that was the end of it, really, because uh, that's all I ever use. And I will say the Audible app is, you know, accessible depending on whether the day of the week has, you know, yeah. an O in it. Um, yeah. It's always a bit weird. Uh, it's, um, it, it's not the best in some respects, but it is a fantastic service. I mean, you couple it with an Amazon Echo. And the fact that you can just, you know, preview a book and buy it. If you've got a subscription, you can just buy a book on your device. It's so easy with the Amazon Echo ecosystem. Um, much easier than it is actually on the app. But when it comes to Apple Books, no, I, I haven't really gone down that route. I, I mean, do they still sell books on there? Can you still buy books? They do. And in fact, the weird the weird thing is you can still buy audiobooks. I have never bought an Apple audiobook because no, uh, why that. would I do it? My primary interaction with Apple Books, honestly, is because I store a lot of stuff that I acquire in other ways. Like mm. I get a lot of books that are on uh, in PDF format or EPUB that I get from someplace else, and I put them in Apple Books so I can store them in the library. And then for the book I write myself, I always preview it. Apple Books. So at least a couple times a year, I open it up and I go, oh, look, there's books. Do you use the the author? Is it the iBooks author? Is that still going? That No, that's not around anymore. Now it's pages. And you're, the reason that iBooks author was a thing, which is what they called it at the time, was that you could create your book in a nice uh, graphical format and you could send it to Apple Books in a format that it would accept, which was EPUB. Uh, but it was never a great app. And then they said, all right, we're going to give pages better EPUB support. 
Still not quite what I need personally, but the, the idea is that you and Pages can create a book and submit it as an Apple book and EPUB, and it'll validate properly. We, we've done other episodes of Parallel where I have talked about the joy of making e-books, so I'll, uh, we'll pass on that for the moment. But <laughs> okay, that's interesting. I, I mean, I, I must admit, I tend not to go near that kind of app because I'm not going to physically read it. I'm not going to do that. I would, I would listen to it in text-to-speech, and that's it. Um, yeah. But you know, I've, I've never looking really down that that the books route to be honest. Never really. But I'm, I'm look anything that makes it more accessible is good. Uh, and I kind of I see a few people reporting or, or not reporting, but tweeting this week that um, they 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 wish these features would come to other apps in the Apple ecosystem as well. And I think that's a fair point. Right, and that's kind of why I brought it up because the sort of either the the general purpose theming that I'm interested in, which is the ability to group a bunch of accessibility features together, save them to iCloud, and then send them to another device is interesting to me. But then also the idea that you could theme around the visual interface of the Apple apps that you use. It could be notes, it could be books, it could be reminders, it could be anything where there are uh, issues with the size or the contrast or the color of text. And you say, well, this is what I want to do. I want quote unquote dark mode, you know, kind of like Windows gives you this default theme called dark mode that you can use. And uh, I love the idea that theming is a thing that Apple is becoming aware of. And so I'm sort of rising it to the top, even though I don't know how many people use Apple Books, because I'm hoping that if people like it, it's something that they'll bring to other platforms, other parts of the platform. We've seen a little bit of this with Microsoft, haven't we? Microsoft Windows 11 has done a lot Mm -hmm. around visual themes. Um, You know, I see that there are lots of, I was just setting up a, a Surface Pro the other day, and there's lots of different themes. Now, I don't necessarily require a specific, especially high contrast theme or anything like that. There are lots of options in there. What I need is dark mode. I need it to be as dark as possible so that I'm not getting those flashes of light when, you know, a web browser opens up. As, and it doesn't seem to happen as much anymore, thank goodness. But you would get these horrible flashes of light oh, whenever yeah. the, the browser would open on a Google page. And you'd be like, oh, that's my retina's gone. Um, Same here. <laughs> so, you know, less, less of that, less retina burnout is good. Yeah, it has gotten better also, I will say, for people who haven't encountered them. Now that Safari on iOS has extensions, you can get dark mode extensions that are really great and that will make sure that you don't accidentally encounter a a very white, bright web page when you don't want to if you're in dark mode. So uh, one of them is called Noir. I think one of them is called Dark Reader. I can put links to those, but uh, those have saved my bacon a few, few times. I love them. I, I, I am terrible for not getting into the weeds and some of that stuff, especially around like Safari extensions on the Mac, never really touched them. I mean, unless they were part of another application that brought it yeah. in, like Pocket, for example. You know, I use Pocket all the time. Same. Um, and it's great for things like that. But, you know, I don't really get into the weeds on those other ones. And again, sometimes I just think, I mean, what I do now, if I'm brutally honest, is I just turn my screen off. I just have screen cutting on all the time, mm-hmm. which only works when it wants to work. And actually, <laughs> here's an interesting one. I had a, a, a 4K screen I had connected to once and I turned on screen cutting. And for those that don't know, it basically just blanks out the screen, except the cursor. For some reason, the cursor mm-hmm. remains active. Um, I guess that's just to let people know it's alive and well. I don't know. But um, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, the screen curtain on the 4K monitor only covered a quarter of the screen. So clearly screen curtain only works in 1080p. Oh, that's so interesting. I didn't know that. I wow. would never have thought about that. But yeah, in a 4K screen, only a quarter, the bottom quarter of the screen was cut off. Weird. I will say the cursor thing is weird for me because I expand, the, I make my cursors large on the Mac. And so <laughs> there's this enormous there. thing, this arrow that's always there. So, Well, let's talk about a couple more last features. There, there mm-hmm. are a number in this press release, and I invite people to uh, dig in. But I, I picked out two more uh, that's that, that perhaps will apply to us a little bit. Uh, one of them are the changes to voiceover. The first thing they did is they added a bunch of languages. There are 20 languages. A lot of people are excited that specifically that Ukrainian is added, uh, but there, there are a number of others as well. And I, I guess the idea is that uh, Apple has, it, I don't know why it took them so long, but I'm glad it's there. And the other one, and I again, this is one I haven't really dug into because I actually haven't tried voiceover on the Mac 
recently since I upgraded to the latest OS on the one Mac where I've done that. But there's this thing called the text checker tool that is supposed to assist you with formatting your text and voiceover. Because that's an issue. If you're, you're writing in voiceover, uh, write, you're writing in an application on the Mac and you're using voiceover to compose your text, but you would like to format that in a professional manner. Well, that's not always mm. easy to do or apparent with voiceover. So text checker uh, is supposed to make it possible to give you the information you need to, to make your formatting better. So have you have you had thoughts about this? Well, it's funny you bring that up because that's one thing I really want to do more of. At the minute, I tend to live in text edit for pretty much everything. So all my notes, everything I do, anything I write, usually for the web, usually for my, my website for the show, I will write it in text edit and then copy it out and, and put it straight into WordPress. And the reason I do that is because it keeps it in plain text. So I know that it's not going to have any weird formatting on it. It's not going to look weird. I can just keep everything very simple and add my links when I get to WordPress. So that all works fine. But I would like to format more. And You know, on a Windows side, it's always nice and easy to do it. It's, there's sort of relatively clear instructions on how to do it online. Um, whereas on on the Mac side, uh, yeah, I mean, again, without getting into the world of pages and, and I guess Word, although I find Word awful with voiceover, um, I just have endless issues with it. And I don't know if that's a voiceover issue or what, but I just find the focus is bad. You go onto a document, you get nothing at all, or you get way too much verbosity. It just doesn't seem to settle. Pages I've never really invested any time in, so I don't know. I hear so many mixed... I actually put a tweet out about that the other week. I was like, look, is anybody using this? What is going on with pages? Is it any good with voiceover? Because I hear people say it's quite complicated to use. So there's all of that going on. And then, of course, once you've got all this information, once you've actually done it, once you've built your document, can you go and proofread it and check it's all right? And that is clearly going to be an area that's going to come up. So this feature is coming just in the right time for me. Um, I will say, though, there's one aspect of VoiceOver's update that I'm perhaps more interested in. Um, the, obvious, the, the Obviously, the languages is brilliant news, and that's fantastic. Bizarre to me that a lot of these languages were never catered for at all. That was a surprise to me, especially Ukrainian. I mean, I, I don't know why. I just would have thought these were always there. So... I don't know, I, I, I just that surprises me. But the one that really stands out for me is the new voiceover voices or new optimised voices. I'm not entirely sure what this means yet, but I did ask Apple about this. And ultimately, the reason they've done it is they're, they want to bring in voices that can be optimised for high speed listening. So fellow Windows users who know about using CS screen reader like JAWS and running eloquence as fast as humanly possible, which, you know, for most people, even me, is too fast. But, you know, the people who've just become tuned to it and can type and, and listen to that and, and totally get it, you know, that should be getting closer on the Mac. How fast these voices can run and still be legible, I don't know, because, of course, as you and I both know, the biggest issue with screen reader voices and, and ramping them up, especially nowadays, these voices are so... Oh, they're becoming very human, that when you speed them up, they just don't sound right at all. And right. they don't sometimes trip over themselves. So you don't always get fully, uh, a, a, you know, a clear sound of what you're meant to be hearing. And that can be a problem. That hopefully is going to change with this update. Yeah, I hope so too. And I think that's why some of the people who who are on the Windows side speak so highly of eloquence because those mm. voices do better. And a lot of the Apple voices that have been around forever were really not intended for the way voiceover users use them. Fred and Bubbles. Yeah, and it just occurred to me in terms of speed, if I'm used to a voiceover voice, if I've used Alex, which is an Apple voice, or in Voice Dream Reader, there's a voice called James that I really like. If I'm used to that voice, I can ramp it up to a very high speed. But if I listen to somebody else's Jaws and they're playing, they're using Eloquence, I'm probably going to have just as much trouble as anybody else understanding that voice at high speed because it's not what I'm used to. So it's yeah. about rhythm. It's about finding a voice that you are accustomed enough to that it sounds good and you can and, – and I do this. You start using a new voice and then gradually you increase the speed and pretty mm -hmm. soon you're at 70 percent and you're just like, it's great. <laughs> so hopefully these voices that are optimized for this purpose will you know, give that to – Mac voiceover users. I, I think that's great. And I, I because I'm not a Mac, Mac voiceover user on a daily basis, I tend to forget how important that's going to be to somebody who is actually trying to do work in that environment. Well, this is partly the thing, right? Because I have to say, you know, I often used to use the 
or came up with a statement that was, you know, a Mac is great for fun and for doing a lot of the kind of playtime stuff and, you know, maybe even uh, even audio editing, video editing, creative stuff, all that. Uh, even with voiceover, you can do all that stuff. If you want to get some serious work done, and what I mean by that is usually typing or document work, get a PC. And, you know, not, I don't even know if I'd go so far to say get JAWS, but certainly the combination of both is very good. Um, and I don't know, I think this might be able to swing the balance back a little bit towards, or swing, you know, swing the pendulum back towards Mac again on this. I, I think one, there's other issues with voiceover, and I have to say, you know, as a voiceover user now for about two years, two and a half years, I do, I do see the holes, I do see the flaws. And I I love using my Mac and I use it all the time and I would probably still use it over my Windows machine, which is sitting next to me, but really is barely ever used. And it's because of the fact of the ecosystem, ultimately, for me, I can do everything I want on one device, like I was saying, but I can definitely see the flaws. And I kind of hope, they don't say this in the press release, but I really hope that under the hood, there's a lot of work being done to try and fix a lot of these focus issues, because that is one thing. When you go back to Windows and you press a button, and as soon as you press the button, you get a response, that's a nice feeling. Because that's all we're really looking for. You know, it'd be nice to be able to arrow through something and not wait a couple of days for a response. Um, It'd be good if they could fix a lot of that. And it seems to me as if that's one area where voiceover really shouldn't be lagging. It shouldn't be lagging at all, right? It's, It's a software built on top of the, or built with, actually, the operating system that it comes with. And it's built on its own hardware. So, you know, it's not like Windows, where it's all, you know, it could be third-party hardware. You could have different, this is, in this case, with JAWS, third-party software. And yet it's far more responsive and far more focused on the job. Well, I promised we'd do a, a couple more features. So let's just, the one last one I'll mention, and you and I talked about this last week too, was the Siri pause feature. So when yes. you use this setting, uh, Siri will give you time to finish asking your question or issuing your command before it starts starts going. And so for anybody with a speech difficulty or a cognitive difficulty, which may make it challenging for them to speak as quickly as Siri wants them to, uh, this is another seemingly small feature, but I think is going to s- prevent a lot of frustration that people have. You know, I obviously we do broadcasting, right? And you have to be quite quick off the mark with your, your thoughts and be yeah. able to form an opinion and a view and, and go on with it pretty quickly. But I have always struggled with that. And as I've got older, it's become more so. Now, I would never put myself into the category of being disabled in any way by it. But I, I do find myself sometimes with these devices almost kind of overthinking what it is I need to say to it in order to get what I want from it. You know, so you're thinking, what is it, what's the, the language I need to use? And sometimes I will say the words, you know, H-E-Y, Siri or whatever, and it'll kind of jump into life and I'll be like, okay, give me X, Y, or Z, and then it gives me the wrong thing. Or I think, oh, no, hang on, it's this. And if I just have a bit more time to think, it would help. It sounds like a small thing, but it actually isn't. And I think more and more of us as we get older, we all have that moment. Well, I'm not going to speak for you, but for me, I certainly have that. Well, hang on, hang on. Let me think. Let me just, just give me a second. Let me think. And I find with these devices, I'm being forced to almost kind of, you know, we've all had it with the Amazon Echo. You start speaking and then she just cuts you off and says, no, nah, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. Or, And you just think, if you just, just give me a minute, <laughs> let me form this thought. Um, that could be really useful. So, I, you know, it seems like a small thing, but I think it will reduce the frustration for a lot of people using those devices, especially older people and people new to using them. Yeah, it's weird to be operating at the pace the machine wants you to operate, which is why I think the Echo is frustrating sometimes. And I, you know, I'm not one of those people who yells at my devices just because, but when it wants me to, when it asks me a second question or when it's not, when it tries to sort of act on what I've already asked when I haven't finished, that's when I get frustrated. And I I tell it to stop a lot. And sometimes my voice is raised when I do it. And I think it's because I I use the Echo differently than I use Siri, not for that reason. Uh, But I can see that it would be very helpful to be able to just let it chill for a little bit, let you put your thought together. And then then when you're ready, then let the machine know that it can go ahead and do its thing as opposed to being on the other way around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Well, Stephen Scott, this has been uh, really great. We've covered most of the features that Apple announced last week, but I will link to this uh, really long press release that includes links to some videos. I did an article for Six Colors last week about this as well, where I sort of, I think I said a lot of the things I said today, but if you want to take a look at them in print, if voice is not the way you want to consume things, uh, feel free. But Stephen, uh, tell people where they can find you and what you do online. They can also listen to uh, the podcast that you and I did together if they just can't get enough of hearing us talk. Well, I think people want to hear more, so um, we shall absolutely <laughs> encourage that. Uh, so, yeah, look, uh, I'm available uh, on the internet. Um, it's, it's a growing thing. It's going to be the next big thing, I hear. So, uh, yes, you'll find me there uh, on uh, ami.ca slash Double Tap. That is the, uh, where you'll find Double Tap TV, and you'll also find links to Double Tap on the radio as well, uh, which you can uh, check out every week. If you're in Canada, you can actually watch us on the television and even listen to us via the TV as well on the AMI-audio, all that available with local listings on uh, whatever cable network you're on across Canada. You can uh, find us there. Uh, And you can uh, also check it all out online at ami.ca slash double tap. You can also get the full playlist of Double Tap TV on uh, YouTube, and you can find Double Tap Canada. That's the name of the podcast. Uh, You can find that on uh, whatever podcast player you like. And uh, if you're in the UK, and it's not a UK specific podcast but you know because i live in the uk because it's my home i wanted to do something that was kind of for my uk blind folks but indeed it is indeed international because you know everything with tech is um but it's rooted in the uk it's called blind guy talks tech and uh you know i I think it i think it kind of explains itself pretty well um (laughs) you can find it on any platform that you have access to that has podcasts good ones and bad ones Bad podcast. No, we don't want those. Whatever and you those do this every single are. day, which and and you have a, including the weekend. My goodness. Well, we, we, uh, so we made a little change. Uh, we've made a little change. So we're actually doing six days a week now. We've, we've brought it okay. back because because we're doing seven days a week. And uh, you know the the six and seven was getting a little bit tricky. So we brought it back a little bit because frankly we talk too much and uh, we, doing two episodes at a weekend means that we're talking even more. And families were starting to say to us. You know, we'd like to, I mean, as strange as this may sound, we'd kind of like to see you from time to time. Uh, so <laughs> yes. we thought, okay, we'll, we'll trim it back a little bit. So yeah, we're on six days a week. You'll get us five days a week. We're doing the, the kind of daily shows with themes. And on the weekend, we have the Saturday weekend edition, um, which will, you know, kind of give us a chance to all get together and just have a bit of a natter about tech and other stuff, which in fairness, our shows do tend to do pretty well at, you know, almost avoiding tech entirely. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we, we get into so many different topics on that show. And, and one of the big topics we do, and it's not really a topic we go out of our way to do, but it comes up in conversation is our own sight loss journeys. And we believe a lot of people are, you know, drawn to that. And we certainly get a lot of positive feedback saying, you know, yes, please talk more about this, um, which, uh, which is great. So yeah, we'll get you on one of those at some point as well, Shell. Sounds great. If you're interested in keeping up with what's going on with Parallel, please go to relay.fm slash Parallel. You can also follow us on Twitter at Parallel Pods. Follow me personally on Twitter at Shelley, S-H-E-L-L-Y. And always looking for your suggestions, your feedback about the show. And uh, if you're interested in other shows on Relay FM, just go to relay.fm and look for them because there are a lot of great tech shows in the mainstream world. They make nice shows, too.